got a whole new week of y'all shows headed your way. Hello, John Rawl is my name, and we are the show that's all about Dixie. We are the y'all show broadcasting on awesome radio stations in the South, as well as in podcast form, as you can find this show on Spotify, also on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn app, as well as Apple Podcasts and Apple iTunes. Search for y'all show, and we're right there awaiting your free download. You can also find archives of this show at y'all.com, the South's homepage. Well, Holmes, how you doing out there? Hopefully you've made it through this scorching weekend across the South. It's just tough. In fact, that heat is partly, if not the main reason, gas prices have crept up here in the last month to two months, depending on where you live. I, I know I was pumping gas Sunday and man, it got to be a more than $40 purchase for yours truly. And I'm used to, well, in the Trump days, I was paying about $22, $23 for a fill-up. And something's happened. I don't know what it is. We'll discuss gas prices and our news headlines as we go throughout the day. Also, we've got other news coming in from across the South that we'll get to. We've got sports information to pass along. News out of the NFL's Carolina Panthers. They've named a starting quarterback for their preseason game they also brought in an edge rusher to training camp at wofford college in spartanburg we'll give you info on that also what's going on with florida state as we left last week the acc is trying to do its best to hold on to the Knowles, or the Knowles trying to jump over to the sec reaction coming in from other acc programs we'll discuss in our southern sports news of the day and in this first hour speaking of the hometown of where Florida State University is located. We've got hashtag hullabaloo coming up later this hour, and we're going to take a look at rubies and Tallahassee. Somebody sent something to us about rubies, and I'm going to tell you all about this place that I have not been to, but I'm going to take everybody else's word for it. Sounds like a great southern eatery, and we will discuss rubies in T-Town, Tallahassee, here in our hashtag hullabaloo coming up in hour number one that plus other fun stuff that have come in on social media in hour number two today on the y'all show in addition to headlines that we've got coming your way we've got our southern history spotlight and it was this week in history that the writer alex haley was born and for the life of me i thought that alex haley was born in the south i was wrong the author of roots is actually a non-southerner by birth but has those southern roots. In fact, it's his native Lauderdale County in Tennessee that he based roots on and the stories of his family going back to slavery times. And so we'll learn more about Ripley and Lauderdale County and author Alex Haley. And I think he also has a connection to East Tennessee too, if I'm not mistaken. We're going to just learn all kinds of stuff about this guy who was born this week in history. Plus, if you go to military history of more recent times it was this week back in the 1960s that the gulf of tonkin authorization happened and we're going to learn more about what that meant for vietnam and how that resolution and its authorization led to president lyndon b johnson having congressional authority to send thousands and thousands of more american troops into southeast asia of which more than 50,000 would ultimately give the ultimate sacrifice We'll discuss all that Vietnam War 
info coming your way in our Southern History Spotlight in hour number two. Also in our second hour today, we're going to tell you all about a classic Southern potato salad recipe that's come in from an awesome website, gritsandpinecones.com. Have y'all got that one bookmarked on your laptop? You should. Gritsandpinecones.com. And they've got the classic Southern potato salad recipe that we're going to tell you all about in our second hour. Our final hour today, Megan's back. She's coming on, and Megan is a bit of an athlete, and I think she's played soccer in her time. I don't know if she's crying today or she's excited. I know I'm more on the latter. The United States women's soccer team lost in the soccer thing they're involved in that's got a bunch of other countries. And we're going to talk to Megan about that loss. And we're going to get a little sports, but it's going to be a lot of political stuff because this women's soccer team has been in the headlines for many years now for being rather radical and very liberal. And just recently, even in this tournament they're in, they did not, a lot of their members, if not all of them, did not stand for the national anthem or at least didn't put their hand over their heart. I'm not really sure. I've not really taken the time to watch this team. But they've also been the ones out beating the drum about how women's athletes need to get paid more. But they make more money than the men soccer players. So we'll find out more. We'll get Megan's take. And again, her opinion means more because she is a woman. We'll talk about that in hour number three. And also in our final hour today, we've got a Southern College football tour stop today. We're on a tour across the southeast as we get you ready for the start of football in just a handful of days, frankly. And today, on our second stop, our first stop was Friday of last week. We went to Fayetteville and visited with the Arkansas Razorbacks. Today, on our college football tour 2023, we're going to Chapel Hill as the North Carolina Tar Heels will be our featured school. And we've got audio coming in from the quarterback of the Heels, Drake May, as he was recently on SportsCenter. And we're going to find out a whole lot more about this talented North Carolina native who's now QBing his flagship institution in his native state. So we'll talk about that. We'll walk through the Heels' upcoming schedule and maybe what our thoughts are on exactly how far Mac Brown could take this team this year. Last year, they played in the ACC championship game, got beat pretty bad in that by the Clemson Tigers. But it's an ACC team featured today on our college football tour. It's the North Carolina Tar Heels, and we've got our Carolina blue and white on to get you ready for that. Yes, we do. Actually, I'm lying. I don't. But <laughs> but I wear that color a lot. I love me some light blue. I don't call it Carolina blue. I, I, I In my household, we call that Citadel blue. But we've got that North Carolina Tar Heel action. In fact, their first game this year is going to be in Charlotte against the South Carolina Gamecocks. That's actually where... ESPN is going to have college game day that first weekend, Labor Day weekend of college football. So we'll have plenty of great college football talk in our final hour of today's Y'all Show. If you want to get involved, we would love to hear from you, folks. The way to do that is you can drop us an email. That email address for the show is mail at y'all.com. Or you can simply pick up the phone anytime you want to and text us. We have a, a number that is monitored 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if you've got something you want to tell us, a recipe, a 
criticism, we'll take it all right here at the Y'all Show. That number to text, 615-208-4184. So keeping it real simple for you to be able to reach us here on the show that truly does shake up the Southland. Well, in Tennessee, the last couple of days, they've had some catastrophic catastrophic floods in the volunteer state. And we're going to tell you today about some terrible, terrible weather that happened mostly in West Tennessee. I know a lot of down power lines, power out, flooding and more. But in the northwest corner of the state, in places like Union City and Obion County, people were trapped in their homes on Friday and they ended up having to get help with that as they were forced to people in that portion of West Tennessee forced to leave their homes and it was just a scary scary thing I have not heard anything about loss of life at this point but the National Weather Service on Friday said that more than 10 inches of rain had fallen in the last 24 hours in parts of the Missouri Beauty Hill and in that portion of Northwest Tennessee as the National Weather Service called Union City Tennessee it's flooding there catastrophic the system brought rainfall throughout that area and then moved even even in a little bit further south into shelby county which is memphis and some tough tough storms there but just a very very ugly friday with people being trapped and more in northwest tennessee and we hope all the best comes from that portion of tennessee as they recover as again i i was in that area and saw that the trees were down and power and just just an ugly situation. Don't know about tornadoes there. I did not hear anything about that. It's just just tough, tough. Ten inches, did not say that. And our listing of, of what their National Weather Service was calling for in that portion. Remember, and, and a lot of people don't realize this, if you don't study up on that little section of the South, the Missouri Boot Hill is right there on northwest Tennessee. For a lot of people, they don't even realize that Missouri touches Tennessee. Now, it's not a whole lot of it, and Missouri touches Kentucky. Not a whole lot of it, but sure enough, I mean, for a lot of people on the eastern seaboard, they think of Missouri, it might as well be California. But we're not, you know, for a lot, that's why we cover Missouri, especially the Boot Hill here on the show. It's, it's, uh, it's a very cool little slice of the south it's just i guess their motto should be we're just not that far away and so that's why i know that mighty mississippi separates kentucky and and tennessee from missouri but that little little section right there and it it was famous that little section for what happened back in the early 1800s with the new madrid earthquake out of new madrid Missouri, which is right on the Mississippi River, but that's the famous earthquake where the Mississippi River actually shifted directions and went north, and it caused the river to jump, and you've got a big change on geography because of that early 1800s earthquake that happened in New Madrid. It's called the New Madrid Earthquake, and you know what? If you live anywhere in the Mid-South, we're talking Mississippi all the way up to New Madrid, Memphis especially. Everybody knows that what happened with the New Madrid earthquake could happen and and is going to happen again. Now, it may not be quite as bad as it was back in that time period, but my goodness. Luckily, when the New Madrid earthquake happened, and I want to pull up the exact year because since we're on the subject, I want you all to 
walk away today knowing that you might have learned something. Um, we I don't think we've ever had an earthquake that severe in the southeast. 1811 and 1812 is the time period we're talking about. This is is this Davy Crockett time. This is basically when that portion of the South and and you've got West Tennessee being settled early on. Most of West Tennessee did not even get opened up for population for people to move in until around 1815 to 1820. And so I would think the same thing in Missouri. So it was very sparsely populated, this area of the South. And in that 1811 and 1812 time period, you had these awful, awful earthquakes going on. I'm trying to get, let's see, one of them was an 8.2 on the Richter scale. And a very powerful earthquake. The most powerful earthquakes to hit the contiguous United States east of the Rocky Mountains in recorded history. Okay. I knew they were big. Absolutely knew that they were big. And then you had aftershocks that happened well after this this ended up being. But again, it luckily at this point in history, it was very sparsely populated. And I'm not sure if we know the exact death count that it, uh, these earthquakes more than 200 years brought. But as I said, people that live in New Madrid and, and in the Mid-South should be aware of what happened more than 200 years ago and know that it can happen again. It can happen again. I love the fact that sometimes we have these century flood crises that happen across the southeast. And when it happens, sometimes you think, I thought we just had something like that like five years ago. So that term often used for flooding, I'm not so sure couldn't be applied to earthquakes. But we've not seen New Madrid or anything of the sort since the early 1800s. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Hmm. I think I would have been moving on west if I'd have been a survivor of that thing at that time period in American history. Let's move on to other stories from across the southeast here on this Monday, August 7th. A day that a lot of kiddos, by the way, are going back to school across the southeast. Hopefully y'all had a good summer as you're maybe listening to us getting ready for school or maybe you're sneaking in a radio to lunch and you've got your transistor out and you're ready to go to recess, but you're catching a little y'all show. Hey, make sure you study this year. We want y'all to do better this year than last year, okay? Get that full ride to college. Tell them that the y'all show said so, okay? All right, well, if you're going to go to college, kids, or if you're going to pay attention in school, you've got a subject called math, and maybe you even take economics while you're in the classroom. Gas prices, they're going up. And gas prices in states like Florida have now reached a year high, according to AAA. Uh, average price of gas in Florida, $3.84. The previous high, three seventy-two, dollars set back in April. This is common throughout the country. And we'll talk about that in a second. But just wanted to let you know that in the very, very high-density travel state of Florida, they've got gas prices higher now than they do than they've had in all of 2023. A spokesperson that follows AAA's gas coverage says the majority of Florida's gasoline is supplied by refineries along the Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi coastlines 
and gas prices spike just based on the mere threat of a hurricane making landfall in this region. How high gas prices go from there and for how long would then be based on whether those refineries suffered any long-term damage. Yeah, we're just now, I, I mean, we they're, they're high, and to my knowledge, I have not seen or heard anything about a hurricane or even a tropical disturbance in the last week or two weeks, so I'm not sure where this person speaking there gets their information. But let me do, t- let me do segue over to another story from cbsnews.com about why gas prices are currently rising. The regular gasoline price in the country averaging $3.82. That's 30 cents higher from just the same time in July. And gas prices are climbing everywhere. The highest increase of gas prices is in the Midwest. As prices have gone up between 18 and 25 cents, the most expensive gas in the country is in California and Washington State where they pay an average of $5 a gallon. The cheapest gas prices in the great state of Mississippi where I just got some gas this weekend and paid $3.33 a gallon. And guess what? That's a penny more than the average price in Mississippi which is, according to this article, $3.32. I got ripped off. Gas prices are nowhere what they were back in June of 2022 when the average price was $4.62. The main reason gas prices increase is the cost of oil. But this month, oil prices are only part of the story. There's other reasons that gas prices are going up. Are you ready? Are you ready? Take note, kiddos who are listening to us in recess right now, ready to go out and play on the playground. If that happens, if you're one of those kids that listen to this show in school, I want to know about it. That's why I want you to drop me an email, mail at y'all.com. I would have listened to this show growing up. Especially, make shoot, I would have probably listened to it in class. All right, some reasons why gas prices are going up. Heat. As July was one of the hottest months on record, for most of the South and the rest of the country. And in places like Phoenix, for example, they had 31 straight days of 110 degree plus temperatures. 31 straight days of 110 plus temps in Phoenix. And those high temps meant oil refineries had to reduce their output because those refineries could only operate on temps between 32 and 95 degrees. So, the high temperatures affecting oil production. Now, crude oil prices have also hovered around $80 a barrel, and that's up $10 from a month ago. And so, when oil prices climb across the country, that leads to gas prices also going up. Oil prices are climbing in part because Russia, which is the third biggest oil producer in the entire world, Russia last month decided to cut production starting in August. So those darn Russians are affecting our gas prices. But also, a third step of why we're paying more at the pump, Saudi Arabia, which is the second largest oil producer in the world, they also cut oil exports last month, slashing production by a million barrels per day as they 
hope to keep oil prices elevated. And they said this week that they would extend into Saudi Arabia, reduce production until the end of September. Why would they do such a thing? Well, the Saudis are particularly, they're known to boost oil prices in order to fund Vision 2030, which is a plan to overhaul the kingdom's economy, reduces its dependence on oil, and create jobs for the young population of Saudi Arabia. So, did all that answer your questions about why gas prices are just so daggum high right now? I do believe it's going to stay this way. And it wasn't all that long ago where you could truly in the South in certain spots go get gas for one dollar. That happened. For one dollar. It happened during another presidential administration. Just going to throw that out there. I've got better things to do with my money than pump it in my car. I would rather spend it on y'all. And I mean (laughs) y'all. And that is a look at some of our news headlines here on this Monday. We've got a lot more to tell you about as we go through the day show. So you make sure you stay with us and we'll get you all caught up. We'll take a break here on y'all. And we're going to come right back and give you the scoop of the weekend in Southern sports. And then before the hour is up, we've got hashtag hullabaloo to tell you about about a great spot in Tallahassee called Ruby's. All that's coming right up here on the show all about the South. We are the Y'all Show. Loretta Lynn, 
Morgan, a.k.a. Laurie Morgan. She took that one into the top five back in 91. And glad to get that going, except for Monday. Oh, come on, Laurie. This is, we are the exception on this Monday. We don't have the Monday blues, do we now? Of course not. And we are back here on the Y'all Show talking about what's going on across the Southeast and a quick look at some Southern sports news here for our opening hour of the program all about the Southeast. So at the end of last week, it got a little chaotic. I actually had to pinch myself one of those days that a guy named Paul Feinbaum of ESPN and the Paul Feinbaum Show prophetically said early in the week last week that you can stick a fork in the Pac-12 that they were done. This guy knows what he's talking about. The Memphis native and University of Tennessee alum and a longtime journalist, mostly newspaper writer for the Birmingham News. He's he's right. The Pac-12 went from 12 institutions a month ago to now for the next school year. They're going to have four schools in that conference. Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, and Washington State. We saw last week Utah, Arizona, and Arizona State join Colorado, which had already announced they were leaving for the Big 12. Those four teams from the Pac-12 are going to be in the Big 12 in the upcoming year of college football. That's what's going on out there. But what about out here in the southeast? Well, Florida State, its board recently met, and they're very seriously considering leaving the ACC unless there's a big change to the conference's revenue distribution model. The president of FSU, Richard McCulloch, has already made this known. They had a virtual meeting last week, and People saw their meeting as it was being live-streamed on YouTube. They did not hold back. They are very unhappy there in Tallahassee. And FSU, I think Paul Feinbaum would even come out and say, I think they're looking to go somewhere else. There's only one place for them to go, and that would be to join the Southeastern Conference. Would the SEC take them, though? We don't know that. Greg Sankey, commissioner of the SEC, has been very coy in the last few days. What's interesting is the reaction from other ACC member institutions. According to an article at ESPN.com, one ACC administrator thought that it was an attempt by FSU to strong-arm presidents to change their minds on revenue distribution. Another ACC administrator questioned whether trustee members even realized FSU willingly sign the grant of rights back in 2016 which gives the conference control over its media rights through the end of the TV contract that they currently have with ESPN and that goes all the way till 2036 hello is anybody listening now there is an August 15th deadline that is a week from Tuesday That's the deadline for any conference member to give notice it plans to leave the ACC within the year. Are we going to see a story out today that FSU's leaving the ACC? Would they have the guts to leave without even having a future home, as in 
perhaps the SEC? Or is Greg Sankey hanging out in Tallahassee and we don't know it? Right now, ACC schools are falling behind SEC and Big Ten schools to the tune of between 30 and 40 million, I think, is the last count. And that number is only going to be going up. There's quite the discrepancy between these two southern-based colleges. So, again, the ACC members outside of Tallahassee are not happy that FSU is getting a little boisterous and getting a little well-known now for talking up in Zoom meetings about the unfairness that the ACC enjoys, if you want to use that word, compared to other conferences across the Southeast. We'll keep an eye on Tallahassee and we'll see where this leads us today. I think there could be some stories coming out within the next 24 to 48 hours with that deadline again of next week of if a school says they're going to get out of the conference. NFL News, the Carolina Panthers, they're in their training camp in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and the Panthers have brought in a veteran edge rusher to play opposite Brian Burns as the Panthers have brought in Justin Houston. He's a 34-year-old who has been playing in the NFL for quite some time, and the Panthers have made this deal with the Houston Texans. Rather, hold on, I'm sorry. Justin Houston is his last name. I don't even know where this guy played for in the past. It looks like he's played for the Baltimore Ravens. Okay. So, Justin Houston and Carolina have agreed to a one-year deal up to $7 million with $6 million guaranteed. Frank Reich is the coach. He and general manager Scott Fitterer have been saying that they would like to bring in a outside linebacker in their new 3-4 scheme and they have brought in Justin Houston to help out the Panthers there in the NFC South. Houston is a four-time Pro Bowl defender and in 2022 he had a resurgent season for the Baltimore Ravens. He had nine and a half sacks and he became the first player in Baltimore Ravens history to record three straight multi-sack games. So a pretty big pickup there. I don't know. Since they're in camp, I assume that the Panthers have not had to immediately cut somebody. they still got some time to play with as far as who makes the final roster and more. Justin Houston was a third-round pick by the Chiefs back in 2011. He's had a total of 506 tackles, 19 forced fumbles, and five interceptions throughout his career Justin Houston and if you'll bear with me a handful of seconds we'll find out where he played collegiately because the name does not sound familiar honestly it's not fair sports is not fair a lot of times and it's not fair that for most NFL players unless you're a quarterback a receiver maybe a tight end you kind of get lost in the shuffle You've got to be an extremely exceptional player for the average Joe or Jane to have ever heard of your name if you're out there just playing defense or you're a lineman on an NFL team. (laughs) Your name does not stick out that much, even if you're good like Justin Houston. 
the Statesboro, Georgia native and a former Georgia Bulldog playing for the Dogs from 2007 to 2010. And he's played primarily with the Chiefs before going to the Colts and then Ravens and now with the Carolina Panthers. Justin Houston. A very, very good player. As far as I know, he's also, for the most part, it looks like escaped the injury bug. Again, a little bit of a comeback for him in 2022 in his second year with the Ravens. He was with that franchise two years with Coach Harbaugh there, but now heading over to Frank Reich territory, the new coach of the Panthers. One other Panthers news and note to tell you about. Bryce Young, the number one overall draft pick out of the Alabama Crimson Tide. He's going to be starting Saturday's preseason opener against the New York Jets. Aaron Rodgers and crew will have their preseason game. And I think that's going to be at Bank of America Stadium. Sure is. And that's going to be where Bryce Young, Mr. Contract already in hand with the Carolina Panthers, is going to be suiting up and playing for the Panthers against the Jets. As the Panthers' plan to play Young shouldn't come as a surprise because according to Scott Fitterer, the GM in Charlotte, this week he's in Spartanburg at training camp. Uh, they need this guy to get reps. He needs to get used to being an NFL quarterback. Now, the other guy on the other sideline, Aaron Rodgers, is not expected to play in the preseason game in Charlotte as Coach Robert Saleh said that the four-time MVP would only play in the team's final preseason game against the New York football Giants. Oh, man. Also, what is kind of interesting this week, Aaron Rodgers and the Jets are going to be leaving Metropolitan New York. They're going to be in Spartanburg as they're going to have a couple of joint practices Wednesday and Thursday at Wofford College where the Panthers have their preseason camp. This is a common thing you're seeing in the NFL now where teams go before they play a preseason game. They'll go in for two or three days sometimes and have practices against the other NFL team that normally is there. And it's a great way to get some fresh meat out there to go hit and get used to playing. And maybe they even get a chance to hang out a little bit when they have preseason camps together. So the Jets and Spartanburg this week, if you want to go see Aaron Rodgers and company, and if you're a J-E-T-S Jets, Jets, Jets fan, they're taking up residency in upstate South Carolina at least for a few days. We've got more headlines that we'll be getting to, including some news on Anthony Davis of the L.A. Lakers. He's got him a nice extension. We'll talk about it in the upcoming hour of the All Show when we get to our Southern Sports Update. But right now, we'll take a quick timeout and come back and wrap up this hour with a look at Ruby's in Tallahassee. If you're going to go to Ruby's, you better go hungry. I'll explain as part of our hashtag Hullabaloo report, and it is coming up next. It's your life You say you need a change 
Don't all the dreams we've seen come true mean anything? You say it's different now And you keep staring at the door How can you walk away? Don't I matter anymore? If being free is worth what you leave behind And if it's too late for love to change Early in Blake Shelton's career for that one from Blake Shelton's Barn and Grill, a song that Conway Twitty put out on the radio some years before. Great, great stuff right here on the Y'all Show as we wrap up this hour of our Southern conversation. And we're going to take you to Tallahassee now for some good grub, y'all, because we've got a text that has come in courtesy of Cynthia Kellis. And it's talking about Ruby's. Ruby's located at 114 Thompson Circle in Tallahassee, Florida. And we're going to let you know a little bit more about what you can find on the menu of this great, great southern eatery. As Ruby's, according to Cynthia Kellis, says that these two beautiful pieces with a the palm tree theme will go beautifully on other any southern table. I'm not sure what she's talking about there, but she's got... Ruby's on our mind, so Ruby, don't take your love to town. Ruby's Diner. I'm looking at their menu right now. If you want to get there for breakfast sometime, whew, a good southern breakfast. That That's a hard thing to come across. Let's just keep it real here, y'all. It really is. So if you're lucky enough to be in the Tallahassee area and you want a good southern breakfast, Ruby's might be the way to go because they've got Ruby's Rise and Shine breakfast plate that's two eggs, choice of bacon and sausage, and two pancakes, grits, or hash browns. And this menu might be a little old that I'm looking at, but let's just say the price for all that is less than $10. Very good deal. You also can get eggs your way, two of them, and that is served with bacon or sausage, grits or hash browns and toast. The price on this menu that I'm looking at online, $6.59. How about the Chef's Omelet? Chef's Omelet is a sausage, cheese, onions, and jalapeno peppers. That's served with toast and a choice of grits or hash browns. All at Ruby's Diner in Tallahassee. And then if you want to get all adventurous and create your own omelet for less than seven bucks on this illustration it shows that you can get two eggs and two ingredients of your choice served with grits or hash browns and toast and those ingredients include mild cheddar cheese mushrooms tomatoes jalapeno peppers spinach onions green peppers sausage or bacon so serve it up there 
two eggs and two ingredients all put together in an omelet. <laughs> Not bad. And I love the fact that you can get stuff a la carte at Ruby's Cheese Grits. $1.99. French toast. One of the greatest inventions ever. French toast, $4.99 on this menu. Again, this price, don't, don't hold me to the price. This could be outdated. That's all for just breakfast. If you get to Ruby's and you want to have lunch there, lunch is served between lunch. The lunch slash dinner menu is 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. As they have a hot lunch special that changes every day. But they do have everyday specials. Those specials include liver and onions, chicken breast, schnitzel. Don't see that on a lot of southern menus. They also have country fried steak with gravy, meatloaf with gravy, and chicken chicken tenderloins, all at Ruby's Diner in Tallahassee. If you have not planned your Tallahassee getaway, I'm going to make you get there. And then there are days that they have their everyday special. They have their specials that are just on certain days. So today, if you get into Ruby's, the special is shepherd's pie. <laughs> That sounds great. Love shepherd's pie. Number two on the week menu is Tuesdays. Tuesdays, the special is chicken and dumplings. Wednesday, you got your smothered pork loin over rice. Thursday, it's chicken and dumplings again. They got that on Tuesday and Thursday. And then Friday, nothing says southern like catfish. And that is what they have featured on Thursday. Plus, at Ruby's... They've got the vegetables like turnip greens, field peas with snaps, baby lima beans, wild rice, and then things like mashed potatoes and french fries too. Just if you need to get that not so great healthy stuff. Plus a variety of burgers. The fish sandwich there I heard was very good and plenty of good desserts. Ruby's Diner is the place to be if you're in Tallahassee. I can't believe I did not know about this place when I was down there a couple of months ago. And Cynthia Kellis, thank you for sending that over. And Ruby's, again, is located at 114 Thompson Circle in the state capital of Florida. And it definitely specializes in tremendous southern grub And we love it when people like Cynthia send us in this information and gives us something to wet our palate (laughs) on this Monday that we call the Monday Y'all Show. And that wraps up this hour of our conversation about what's going on in the South. We will do it again in hour two and three with more Southern conversation. You don't want to miss out on that for sure, y'all. And if you've got a favorite Southern eatery that we need to know about, by all means, let us know. That wraps up this hour. We will see you back here for hour two where we've got more Southern conversation. And don't forget that Megan Hedwall will also be joining us before we get out of here today. So stay tuned to y'all.
Southern history to pass along this hour. We'll do that in the next segment as Alex Haley, who has written one of the greatest books that have to do with American slavery, Roots, was that little book that came out, and that little book led to a big, big film. And I remember when it made its debut on television. I believe ABC is the network that had that thing. Alex Haley, born this week, will tell you more about the writer. Also in Southern history, in our spotlight coming up, we'll let you know about the Gulf of Tonkin authorization. Has that happened back in the 1960s? I think it was 1964 that President Johnson pushed that through. And we'll explain what that was and the impact of the Gulf of Tonkin authorization, what it meant for the Vietnam War. All that is part of our Southern History Spotlight coming up in a few minutes here before we get out of here this hour. We also have our Southern Recipe of the Day. We're going to go to the website, gritsandpinecones.com. That's almost as good as y'all.com. But gritsandpinecones.com has a recipe that caught our attention here. It is a classic Southern potato salad. Yummy. And we'll go again to that website and learn how to do that. Just what you need while it's 100 plus degrees. Some good tater salad. (laughs) And we'll explain. Also coming up on the show, Megan Headwall will be on for a lot of great sports and other topical information. We'll just leave it right there. If you want to get involved with the Y'all Show, we'd love to hear from you. We've got an email address, M-A-I-L, mail at y'all.com. And you can also... Well, you can text us anytime you feel like it, as we've got our 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week hotline available for texting, and that hotline is area code 615-208-4184. Good to have you back here as we get our week going on this, the show about the South that we call the Y'all Show. So we'll pick up our news headlines from across the South and more, and a recurring theme right now is gas prices. As we're seeing gas prices hit, in most cases, highs that we have not seen all in 2023. What's up with that? A recent article at CBSNews.com has cited the reasons that gas prices are climbing again. The average U.S. price for a gallon of gas is $3.82. That is 30 cents higher from where it was a month ago. And I know we're filling it here in the South they're really feeling it in the Midwest as they've seen gas prices rise between 18 and 25 cents, according to AAA. And if you really need to feel sorry for somebody, it would be our good friends out in California and in Washington State where they pay on average five bucks a gallon. Five dollars. So we better be happy that we're paying in the $3 range in most of the Southeast. By the way, the cheapest gas in the nation is in the Magnolia state of Mississippi. Average price, $3.32 is what that will set you back. So let's just do the math there. If in Mississippi it costs you $3.32 per average gallon per fill-up, $3.32, but in California it's $5 if I'm correct on my mathematics here. That is a savings compared between California and Mississippi of $1.68 a gallon. 
168. Let's say the average fill-up is about 15 gallons of gas. You save $25 if you fill up in Mississippi as compared to California. Is that worth it? I think so. What if you've got a, a business you're running and you've got a fleet of vehicles out there? Let's say you've got vehicles that need to be filled up every every day and you got 20 cars on your lot. That's that's $500 you're wasting by being in California and you multiply that a day, is it 500? Yeah, 500 a day. I'm going to probably overdo it, but you 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 probably get my drift here. 500 a day savings if you've got a fleet of 20 work cars that are on the road constantly times five times let's say 50 weeks in a given year it's a savings of $125,000 if my arithmetic is correct of being based anywhere other than California but especially if you can find the gas in a place like Mississippi really gas ought to be cheaper in Louisiana with all the refineries and such I don't know why it's not cheaper there but Mississippi's got a pretty darn good deal on gasoline according to AAA but gas prices are going up what's the reason for that according to this article at cbsnews.com rising mercury the temperatures going up and writer Christopher Brooks's article talks about that also rising oil prices not only are you pro- you having problems with Russia, Russia has cut back production, and now Saudi Arabia, the second largest oil producer in the world, has recently cut its oil exports as they're trying to do something to help their youngsters. They've got this thing called Vision 2030, a plan to overhaul Saudi Arabia's economy, reduce its dependence on oil, and create jobs for its young population. And because of that, the Saudis have cut back oil production by a million barrels per day. Bad timing. Saudis cutting back. The Russians recently cutting back. And then we've got this awful, awful heat wave going on. By the way, as we try to educate all of y'all, I just read an article that said Saudi Arabia is the second largest oil producer in the world. Russia is the third largest oil producer in the world. So the question is, who is number one? Who's the number one country in the world? That would be the United States. And Canada's behind the good old U.S. of A., but the United States is the top crude oil producer in the world. That's hard to believe that we're still that way. So congratulations, USA. Congratulations. Of course, when Trump was in office, we had oil production being boosted, and then literally day one, Biden comes in and stops the pipeline that was going up to Canada that was an executive order day one and things have not improved in my opinion and I don't think it's because of green energy I I don't know what's going on but 
it really does affect the bottom line for so many Americans, especially if you're having a hard time already. And out of nowhere, we saw that within the last month, gas prices have gone up this much. It makes you want to almost take that car and cut it off and just start walking. And that may not be a bad idea. That might be the best idea because we all could use a little extra reason to get out there and exercise too, right? Well, some of us. Okay, I'm looking at myself here. (laughs) Yes, it's time to get back out of there and and start walking away in 100 plus degree or, or running or whatever your exercise favorite thing to do would be the time right now to do it. Ron DeSantis. We need to get some Ron DeSantis news in the news, and we're going to do that. DeSantis's retaliation against Disney has hurt his state of Florida. That, according to former governors and lawmakers, a group of former governors and other politicos gathering the other day, and they said that what Ron DeSantis has done in his friend of the court brief that Disney's got as far part of a federal lawsuit against DeSantis, rather DeSantis, DeSantis, that's crazy. Uh, DeSantis has got this Disney legal brewing, legal brouhaha brewing, and these governors are trying to point out that what DeSantis has done is he's chosen a corrosive form of democracy to go after and this is in the court filing this group of former governors said that DeSantis's actions hurt Florida's economy because firms are being dissuaded from doing business and it could be the subject to the governor's retaliatory, retaliatory whims that they ever voiced disapproval over his policies it would hurt Florida. The group noted that Disney's scrap plans for a billion-dollar campus in Orlando, and that would have relocated over 2,000 employees from Southern California, and they've decided to not do that. I'm not sure where that's going to be. This group of former Republican governors includes Christine Whitman, the former New Jersey governor, as well as Arnie Carlson of Minnesota, also a couple of former congressional members, Republicans, Tom Coleman of Missouri, Claudine Schneider, Rhode Island, and Christopher Shays of Connecticut. I'm not even sure why their opinion matters, but that's the story here today that the governor of Florida, who's running for president on the Republican side in 2024, his retaliations against Disney has hurt Florida, and we're already seeing the repercussions of that. A story out of Florida, a sad story. A suspect arrested for manslaughter after he allegedly beat up a man on a golf course back in June. And a 76-year-old man, Robert Edward Moore Jr., has been charged with one count of aggravated manslaughter as he beat up 87-year-old, 87, is what I said, year-old Dean William Zook beat him up. And this man died weeks after the confrontations because of the injuries that he incurred. According to an arrest affidavit, this began at the Glenview Country Club in the Villages, Florida. On June 28th, the victim accidentally hit a car that Moore believed was his, prompting a confrontation. 
and they got into a fist fight and next thing you know one of them ends up being killed and this man died July 16th a day before his 88th birthday authorities able to arrest more after they discovered an article about him scoring a hole in one in November of 2022 as he was wearing the same shorts shoes and sunglasses as he was wearing when this incident occurred at the villages Sumter County, Florida Sheriff's Office actively investigating the incident. Again, an 87-year-old man a day before his 88th birthday being attacked over a car dispute. And the man that attacked him was a 76-year-old who's now been charged with a count of aggravated manslaughter. Got to watch out what goes on with those golf courses. Sad story there. How about this bizarre story coming from Memphis? And it involves people doing road work and not paying attention, evidently. A driver on his way to work last week had to do a double take, according to WATE-TV. A driver had to do a double take after seeing a dead raccoon in the road that had been painted over by the city road crew. In fact, this carcass had a solid white line going across its body. This dead raccoon and the, the, the road crew didn't take the time to remove this dead raccoon in Memphis. Mm. Absolutely stupid. Let's go to the Super Talk 93.1 phone line. Whoop. Lost you there. I have to come back to you sometime. Texas A&M, we told you about this recently. They had a professor that was supposed to come lead a journalism class there, and it came out there were some some problems with that. One of the heads of Texas A&M's, I guess she would have been a chancellor of some type, ended up resigning. It's just been a real ugly mess. Well, A&M has now reached a million-dollar settlement with a black journalism professor after botched attempts to hire her unraveled after pushback over her work promoting diversity. The nation's largest public school has now agreed to pay Kathleen McElroy a million dollars and has apologized to her while admitting mistakes were made during the hiring process. McElroy, by the way, is a Texas A&M alumnus and she got a lot of publicity when she was hired to revive A&M's journalism department back in June. She's a former New York Times editor and had worked in journalism a long time, but she's also been at the much more liberal University of Texas over in Austin. And that really ruffled some people there at A&M when they brought in this woman to lead the journalism school. And questions were brought up and ultimately the hiring process became a, a major thing people looked into and one of the leaders retired immediately after hiring this woman and that happened back at the end of July as President Catherine, Catherine Banks of Texas A&M resigned and 
with a letter that said she would retire immediately because negative press has become a distraction. Texas A&M has, by the way, 70,000 students in College Station, Texas. That seems a bit much. <laughs> what do y'all think? 70,000. That's That means they're bigger than UCF and Orlando, which for a long time proudly promoted how they were the largest university in the land. You got competition there, Knights. A burglar in Florida was seen baptizing himself at a Panama City Beach church. And now this burglar is in a bit of trouble. The baptismal pool at this Florida church appears to be having quite an impact as a burglar caught in the baptismal pool. Investigators believe the law enforcement canine Let's see here. I'm I'm not making sure I'm reading this correct. All right, this story in some ways does not make sense, so I'm going to just skip over it for right now. Okay. Uh, 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 Producers, figure out more about this story before we relay it here on the Y'all Show. Okay, let's take you to Chapin, South Carolina. Some good stories coming out of that little town on the north end of Lake Murray in the Columbia SC area. Rebecca Kajuris reports that she's been contending with hundreds of Amazon packages showing up at her doorstep. And they're all filled with dresses. Sounds like the perfect delivery, right? If you're a lady, don't you love getting new dresses? Well, evidently, the new dresses are coming to the wrong address. And this woman is trying to put a halt to it. Rebecca says that she has an Amazon account, but is not sure why all of these Amazon boxes are showing up at her doorstep with dresses in them. She says she can't get anybody from Amazon to give her a straight answer about what's going on and what they're going to do to stop it. And she estimates that she's received more than 100 packages in just the five weeks past And according to Amazon, a spokesperson from that website said that they are investigating. And a statement from Amazon was sent as well that said, third-party sellers are prohibited from sending unsolicited packages to customers. If you receive a package or item that you did not order, check with friends or family or contact customer service to confirm it's not a gift to you. If you receive a package addressed to someone else, please contact customer service if you confirm that the package addressed to you wasn't ordered by you or anyone you know report the package online by going to the report unwanted package form amazon investigates reports of brushing and takes action and bad actors that violate our policies including suspending or removing selling privileges without withholding payments and working with law enforcement customers don't need to return the item what is brushing I need to look that up. Producers. Or should I have a Lexa? I don't have Lexa. But if I did, I would say Lexa. What is brushing? Do y'all know that term? I've never heard of it. Brushing scams occur when bad actors send packages to publicly available names and addresses. Why would... 
what would that what would that prove why would somebody want to do that and who's paying for it is the question when a customer receives a package that they did not order it may be a scam called brushing brushing scams occur when bad actors send packages to publicly available names and addresses if you receive such a package and you did not order it first confirm that it was not a gift that was sent to you and check with friends and family to see if they ordered the package if you confirmed that the package addressed to you was not ordered by you or anyone you know report the package online by going to the report unwanted package form and again it says down there you don't need to return the item no wonder our world's messed up so you're telling me that people send packages to others that they don't even know as part of a scam what's the scam I still don't understand it I guess I got a lot of growing up to do but yes this Chapin South Carolina woman evidently is getting brushed in a big way and I saw the video of all the packages outside of her doorstep there as she's been overwhelmed by piles of Amazon deliveries of mostly dresses And according to what it sounds like from Amazon, she can keep them all. I just don't know if they're going to fit her. (laughs) We wish her the best there in Chapin, home of the Chapin Eagles. All right, and and home of one Jim Waddell, too. That will wrap up our stories here on the Y'all Show for this first hour of our coverage of the show that shakes the Southland. When we come back on Y'all, we've got a southern history spotlight we're going to tell you all about alex haley as he was born this week the late author of roots will tell you more about his history and more as well as the gulf of tonkin happened this week in american history and its impact on the vietnam war all that is coming up as part of our southern history discussion before the hour is up we've got a great recipe in from grits and pinecones.com and i can't wait to tell y'all all about it So hang on. We're back here on y'all on this Monday edition 
We shake up the Southland with our combination of news and sports coverage. By the way, in our third hour today, we're going to take you to Chapel Hill as the North Carolina Tar Heels are the latest stop on our tour, getting you ready for the start of football season. It's the College Football Tour 2023, and today it's all about the UNC Tar Heels. We'll hear from the quarterback, Drake May. We'll have him featured with a recent interview he did on SportsCenter. That, plus we'll walk through the upcoming schedule for the heels of the ACC. By the way, coming up on Tuesday's Y'all Show, our college football tour will take us to Lexington, where the Kentucky Wildcats will be the featured school. Coming up on Wednesday's Y'all Show, it's all about the Florida Gators. Thursday, it'll be all about the Baylor Bears, and then we'll wrap things up Friday on our college football tour Taking you to Death Valley, the Louisiana kind. It's all about the LSU Tigers as we get you, again, all set for college football 2023. But this hour, we continue on with the fun with now a Southern History Spotlight. And want to let you know that it was on this date back in 1836 in Darlington, South Carolina. Before they had NASCAR in Darlington, they were known for the hometown of General Evander Law as he was born August 7th, 1836 in Darlington, South Carolina. Evander Law would be a Confederate general in the Civil War and was a very, very good general as he was trained at South Carolina's Military Academy known as the Citadel Now. Graduating from there in 1856, he would go on to be an instructor at his own military high school before the Civil War started in Tuskegee, Alabama, and ended up joining the Alabama militia. Ultimately, he would go on to fight at the Battle of Bull Run, where he was part of Bernard B. and his brigade there in Virginia, a Confederate victory there in 1861. Law led his brigade in the Peninsula Campaign and in the Seven Days Battles, and ended up fighting at Gettysburg where he accompanied Longstreet's Corps. And then he fought in Tennessee as well. After the Civil War, he ended up going to Bartow, Florida. And how about this? Evander Law decided to open up a school similar to the one that he attended, South Carolina Military Academy. He started the South Florida Military College in Bartow, Florida in 1895 led it up to 1903. And this monument, this this legacy to Evander Law is still in Bartow. It's still a building there right off of the town square because Bartow is the county seat of Polk County, Florida. Evander Law would die in Bartow as the longest surviving Confederate Major General, and he's buried in Oak Hill Cemetery in Bartow, Florida. Evander Law, born this day in August in August of nineteen or rather August seventh of eighteen thirty six. South Carolina born, Florida dead. Or where he passed away. The legacy, by the way, of his vision to start a school similar to the Citadel was South Florida Military College would ultimately merge with a couple of other institutions and it would be merged into what would become the University of Florida as in Go Gators and it owes its connection to a Confederate general 
who was born on this date, Evander Law, in 1836. Also born on this date, or right around this time, is Matthew Henson. He's got a birthday on Tuesday, and he was a black explorer who accompanied Robert Peary on voyages to the Arctic. Would go up there a total of 23, uh, or go up there throughout 23 years of exploration to the North Pole and beyond. And he was born in Najemoy, Maryland, to sharecropper parents. And they were free Americans, free blacks born to them before the Civil War. He spent most of his early life in Washington, D.C., and had his first Arctic expedition in 1891. Matthew Henson, who died in 1955 at the age of 88, and along with his pal Robert Peary together, they are known as the first to reach the geographic North Pole. How about that? Born this week in 1866 is when he was born. Also born this week, Alex Haley, born in 1921. Alex Haley died in 1992 at the age of 70. He was born in Ithaca, New York. The author known for Roots, which was the story of his American family. And then he also wrote Queen, which had the title Queen, the story of an American family, <laughs> which was a big miniseries that Haley Berry or Halle Berry starred in in the 1990s on CBS. I still remember when it came out on TV. Alex Haley. I thought this thing was a film, but no, I'm sorry. Roots, the saga of an American family, debuted on ABC. Or rather, ABC turned it into a million. I'm sorry, this is in 1977. I remember it being on ABC. But Roots was a huge book that ended up being put on the big picture. And then ABC adapted the book as a TV miniseries that aired in 1977. And when it came out, it was to a record-breaking audience of 130 million viewers. Roots. And when it came out, it raised public awareness of the black American history struggle during the time of slavery and it brought back a lot of interest in genealogy family history for blacks and whites alike Haley's first book was the autobiography of Malcolm X and that came out in 1965 but Roots is the one that Alex Haley is most famous for and it was a novel written in 1976 the story of Kunta Kinte and how Kunta Kinte, his legacy was his descendants like Alex Haley. In fact, Alex Haley lived with his family in Henning, Tennessee, that is in West Tennessee, not far from Ripley there in Lauderdale County. And it was where a large part of his roots came from, the story of his slave ancestors there in Tennessee and beyond. Alex Haley actually attended college at Alcorn State University, and that is in Lorman, Mississippi. 
and ended up graduating or attending there before also attending Elizabeth City State University. Served in the Coast Guard and then got into writing. And in, this week, in 1921, Alex Haley was born in New York State, the writer behind Roots. Also this week in history, the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution as it was passed August 7th, 1964. During the LBJ administration, it was passed in response to the Gulf of Tonkin incident. And that happened just a few days before a confrontation on August 2nd, 1964 happened when American forces were carrying out covert operations close to North Vietnamese territorial waters. And when they were doing that, North Vietnamese forces responded the U.S. government falsely claimed that the second incident occurred, that a second incident occurred rather August 4th. And a lot of this blame and Robert McNamara, the Secretary of State, helping to ramp up what was going on over there with the USS Maddox, with the North Vietnamese motor torpedo boats supposedly attacking it, and more. We had the destroyer slightly damaged, one aircraft slightly damaged in this, but it was a dust-up of sorts. But what happened was, because of this incident in the Gulf of Tonkin, that gave the LBJ administration the green light to try to go to Congress and get this resolution passed, and it did pass August 7th, 1964, and when this went through, essentially it gave the authorization to pour thousands more soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines into Vietnam, South Vietnam and fight in this battle that was going on there, and ultimately more than 50,000 Americans would pass away during the Vietnam War. And the Gulf of Tonkin resolution signed this week in 1964 to all of you out there who may be listening to the y'all share right now who might have fought and served in Vietnam thank you so much I had the great pleasure this weekend actually to be around a retired army colonel who still deals with the effects of Agent Orange and I had a chance to be around him and another friend a mutual friend of both of ours was also got a, a chance to be around him and he was a marine recon guy he actually went into the Ho Chi Minh Trail in North Vietnam in North Vietnam and would essentially hide out in the woods and report back the activity on the Ho Chi Minh Trail and the reason he got that job is because he was a little small guy and they thought he could fit in as a the Vietnamese guy. He looks nothing like a, like a Vietnamese. He's, a, he's an American. He's from Mississippi. But he would have to learn how to smoke North Vietnamese cigarettes and again would report activity on the Ho Chi Minh Trail to to American whoever was monitoring that. Talk about a brave thing and this guy survived that and, and all of you who fought in that horrible war of the 1960s and early 70s 
thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you so much for what you did for our country. And I still think one of these days, and it needs to be one of these days real soon, we really should have a national celebration of the sacrifice for Vietnam because we still have a lot of our Vietnam veterans with us. And they're not going to be here much longer. The Vietnam veterans are becoming the World War II guys where we only literally, we have to go really searching to find any surviving WW2 guy. Korea's not far behind. There's hardly any of those guys left. But Vietnam, because of the fact that they weren't properly thanked, they weren't properly given respect when they got back here, it's high time that we honor those who are still with us and and truly take a, a time to reflect on those who gave the sacrifice in Southeast Asia during that time period. Okay, enough of my preaching to you here on the Y'all Show. I think that would be a good idea. I really, really do. Primarily because those guys, again, when they got back here in the 1960s and 70s, they were treated like third-class citizens by a lot of the public. They, they really were. They were shunned. People were embarrassed to go around and say they'd fought in Vietnam. And that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Of course, maybe some would say that whole war was ridiculous and why we were even involved in it. And this comes from me, who was not even born until well after the war had started. Okay. That's a look at some Southern history here on today's Y'all Show. Hope you enjoyed that, even my preaching there toward the end. Starting to sound like the Patriot Pastor. <laughs> when we come back on to Y'all Show, we're going to wrap things up talking about potato salad. And we're going to welcome in Megan Headwall for this one because I need all the help I can get as we wrap up Hour 2. And then she's going to be on with us in Hour 3 for more Southern Conversation on this, the Y'all Show. Describing a heartache All cause it's a one of a kind thing A serious injury And a whole lot of endless pain If it was a storm I'd compare it to a hurricane Oh, it's even got a name If it was a train it would be a strong one If it was a sad song It would be a long one If it was a color It would be deep, deep blue But if we're talking about a heartache It would be you Thank you, Gary Allen. We're back here on the Y'all Show wrapping up our number two, Megan's back. I'm back. You're back just in time to talk about potato salad. Oh, I love potato salad. You do? Oh, yeah. Well, have you ever had a really good southern potato salad? Well, I don't... Yeah, probably. Well, you have you gone to gritsandpinecones.com to get their recipe? Nope, so I guess I haven't. Well, Sharon <laughs> what Rick, you're telling me? <laughs> Sharon Rigsby has put this up there at gritsandpinecones.com, which, by the way, is a southern cooking and hospitality blog check it out but sharon says that she has over 50 years of experience in the kitchen Hmm. i think she knows what she's doing i would hope so and she's got this recipe up for 
Southern Potato Salad. Now, she says in the blog post that I'm reading here, oh, this is like your grandma used to make. Well, my grandma did not make Southern Potato Salad. What? Maybe yours did. Mine did not. Wow. She wasn't a very good cook. The other one cooked a lot. But I don't remember her making potato salad. She made other really good stuff like peach pie. Mm -mm -mm. (laughs) All right, you're going to make me nostalgic. (laughs) But yes, Southern Potato Salad is a certain delicacy here in the south many potato salad recipes in the south call for good old yellow prepared mustard and this recipe here at grits and pine cones is no exception according to sharon she says no dijon mustard apple cider vinegar and for goodness sakes no miracle whip in this recipe she says that you're going to love this recipe for southern potato salad because she shares her secret ingredient dill pickle juice Hmm. And that ramps up the flavor and sets it apart. She also says that her recipe is quick and easy and comes together in minutes after boiling the the potatoes. And lastly, her recipe is great because it can be made ahead and is even better on the second day. Hmm. And what's in it? It's got mayonnaise, dill pickles, salt and pepper, potatoes, onion, and hard-boiled eggs. When's the last time you had some good potato salad? Oh, it's been a minute. Might have to try this one out. Yeah, we'll go to gritsandpinecones.com, a great website, almost as good as y'all.com. <laughs> but I do like that. Do, do you like grits? I do. Okay, thank God. All right. <laughs> I was about to throw you out of here if you were about to say no. Do you like pine cones? To eat them? No, not to eat. <laughs> Just clarify. Do you have any on your oh, yeah. your million acres yeah. there on your lower lower million? Yeah. You do have some? Yeah. Do you pick them up? Sometimes. not. I don't make a habit of okay, it. Okay, because that was my main job growing up. In was addition picking to picking my, my The yard I grew up in had pine trees everywhere, and my mother was a, pardon the pun, stickler <laughs> for getting those pine cones you up. you throw them at your siblings? No, no. Oh. I had to put them in a little wagon and then go dump them in the woods and there were like literally forts made out of pine cones because where i'm from the real south our pine cones are about that big which is about a foot they can get close to a foot tall yeah it's like those uh sugar pine cones uh whatever yeah i mean i've had people from other parts of the south come visit me and they stole pine cones i'm like where were you when i was growing up i'll just have you do all the pine cones <laughs> you can go check this recipe out at gritsandpinecones.com sharon thank you for putting that out there and we love our southern potato salad and you can check this out the recipe at gritsandpinecones.com we're gonna have a great third hour megan's gonna come on here and tell us how wonderful the u.s women's soccer team is or not or not (laughs) as they lost to sweden yes on sunday we've got the uh analysis from a former soccer player herself former (laughs) i guess you could still get out there and put it in the net probably have a heart attack we'll be right back three on the show all about the south john rawl megan headwall in now for the third hour 
we've got a lot of stuff to tell you about from the sports perspective as Megan, a former college soccer player, (laughs) is going to weigh in on the U.S. women's soccer team losing in that thing they were involved in. The World Cup. The what? What is it? The World Cup. World Cup. Is that what it was? Mm-hmm. Shows what I know. <laughs> and so we'll we'll talk about that and mainly more what this team's known for off the pitch. Yes. And off the pitch, they have made people like me and maybe even our yep. retired college soccer player a little bit upset through the years. Yep. We'll discuss that here. And if you've got something to say about this loss by the women's soccer team, let us know here at the Y'all Show. Mail, M-A-I-L at y'all.com. So we've got that coming up in the next segment. Before the hour's up, more sports coverage. As today, we're taking you to Chapel Hill as we're on our college football tour for 2023. And our stop today is the North Carolina Tar Heels. We'll hear from the signal caller, the very talented man with a strong arm, as Drake Mayo is going to be skippering North Carolina's offense in 2023, we'll walk through UNC's schedule and what else Mac Brown has in store for the Heels in 2023. Megan, we're on this tour now throughout the rest of the month of August, getting everybody ready for college football. So today, we're in Chapel Hill for UNC, and then come up, join us on Tuesday. I know you don't have anything else going on. <laughs> we're going to be in Lexington, Kentucky, as we're visiting with the Kentucky Wildcats on Tuesday. And then Wednesday, we're going to be in the swamp. The swamp. The Florida Gators are our featured school. Wednesday, Thursday, we're in Waco. No, not to see Chip and Joanna, <laughs> but we're going to be there to tell you all about the Baylor Bears. And then we'll wrap this week up telling you all about the LSU Tigers. So those are the schools we've got lined up for this week. And then next week, we're going to keep going through all the different schools telling you about the upcoming schedule, our expectations, and even some of the traditions that you'll find at each and every one of these schools. So I've been to a UNC home game before. It is a great-looking campus there in Chapel Hill. And we'll tell you this hour a little bit more of the great things you'll find on a North Carolina football game day as part of our college football tour for 2023. Let's kick off this hour, Megan, with a look at some of our news headlines. And the big headline that we've told people about is the price of gas. Mm. What are you paying these days? Oh, I don't remember what I paid the other day. It was like three twenty something. Oh, that's a good deal. I paid three thirty three yesterday, and I thought I was getting a good deal. Oof. I wasn't really. The average price of gas is way on up there. A place called California right now is averaging $5 a, ga- a gallon of gas. not surprising. Not surprising to you? No. Nope. The average price for gas is $3.82. That's 30 cents higher than it was a month ago. Yeah. So I was doing some math earlier, and you could save, it's $1.70 if you lived in the cheapest place in the country is Mississippi, where gas is three thirty-two on average right now. $1.68 is the difference between the Magnolia State and the California Republic that's not a republic, Republic of Fools. The communistic country. Yeah, that's, I was trying to think, think yeah. of whatever you Socialist call it, country. and you should know. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, gas prices are going up. Yeah. Mm. Maybe we'll get a government check to help oh. offset it. Would you like that? Well, if I could get some of my tax dollars back. 
Yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with that, and I'm sure no one else would either. Those who are paying in. Yeah. You're just mooching off all of the rest of us. You don't deserve it. Okay, hate mail to Megan Headwall, not me. I'm the nice guy here. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Also, on our headlines across the southeast today, want to let you know about in the state of Florida, the state of Florida has a governor named Ron DeSantis, and he's ticked off people because of his Disney stance. Mm. Do you think he went a little too far with that? I don't know. I I mean, we have to protect our children, and I don't know. Well, there's an organization of former governors that are evidently being part of this Disney lawsuit, and that includes the former governor of New Jersey, Governor Whitman. And she's coming out saying that he definitely crossed a line or did more than he should have done coming after Disney. Disney was supposed to bring in a bunch of jobs with sort of a, a operations center, mm-hmm. and they decided to not do that after he went to war with them. So it is costing money, supposedly. And even Repub- a fellow Republican presidential candidate of DeSantis Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina, she said, hey, Disney, if you don't want to go to Florida, you can open up in South Carolina. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's not going to probably go well during a debate here. uh, We're just days away from that big debate. Also, a story out of Florida, an 87-year-old man, the day before his 88th birthday, got into a fight at a golf course. And a 76-year-old man, Robert Edward Moore, has now been charged with a count of aggravated manslaughter because this 87-year-old man, Dean William Zook, ended up dying several weeks after the confrontation due to the injuries incurred while there at the Glenview Country Club in the Villages, Florida. And the confrontation started because the victim accidentally hit a car that Moore believed was his, and that prompted a battle. Hmm. I bet you they've had a few people hitting cars there at the villages in Florida. Do you know about that place? Yeah, I've heard some things it's about that It's like the that largest place. retirement place. Yeah. I know Florida as a state is the largest, but this place was 100% created for retirees. I heard diseases run rampant there. <laughs> Again, hate mail to Megan. Don't send them to me. What kind of diseases? What are you, what's wrong with you? No, that's what I've heard. That's the only thing I've heard. It's a retirement community. You've really heard that. You're not yes, just making that up. No, You're not trying to like get a, a laugh STDs. out of us. No, I'm the STDs? Yes. What? That's what I've heard. Off of, off, off of octogenarians? Mm, maybe. Probably not. You better watch those octogenarians. <laughs> Did I say oct- uh STDs and eight? What? All of all. Of that. I'm moving. No. <laughs> Moving there? Yeah. Ooh. You know, I didn't realize until I was driving in that area a couple months ago that it's not on the coast. The Villages is more up toward Ocala is really where it's. It's it's not right on the Gulf or Atlantic side of Florida. It's it's inland. Oh. Maybe that's why they have a problem with diseases. (laughs) If they'd be out on the beach, they might not be thinking about getting into disease. Right. But the villages, Florida, STD country, according to Megan. <laughs> that's what I've heard. That's what you, well, hey, what else have you heard? I hear a lot of things from a lot of different people. Oh, golly, I'll just turn my <laughs> mic off and let you run with it here, lady. All right, I wasn't expecting that one on our news headlines today. Also, I want to let you know, about, how, how would you like to be Rebecca Kajuras? 
How would you like to be her? I don't know. What did she do? Well, she didn't do anything. But what she did do is go open her front door, and guess what? Over the last couple of weeks, she has received hundreds of Amazon packages that she did not order. Anything good? All dresses. Do they fit? That, I don't know. Okay. Stop asking me the easy, <laughs> tough question. No. Uh, they don't, they don't, uh, they probably don't fit, or else this story wouldn't be out here in the headlines today. But yes, this lady out of Chapin, South Carolina, has been receiving all of these dresses on her door, and she did not order them from Amazon. Hmm. And this, as we described in our hour two today, brings up the subject of brushing. Have you heard of such a thing, Megan, the smart one? Like your teeth? Your no, 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 no. There's a, a a scenario called brushing within Amazon world. No. And brushing, and maybe you're going to start doing this, and I, I appreciate it. Okay. I'm a 48 long, 36 waist. You just start sending people clothes? No, I'm, I'm telling you this because that's what brushing is. It's when you receive stuff that you did not order. Oh, so they've come up with a term. They come. They now. came huh. up with a term. You're brushing me off. No, it's um, it's called brushing. And, and why somebody would do it? And here's the amazing thing. So if you're the recipient of brushing, where people send you stuff, Amazon asks that you go around asking family members, friends, "Hey, did you order something and use my name and my address?" And if you go around and do all the checking. And it's proven that you did not order this. And you can't send it back because it was something that you didn't ask for because it's coming from a third-party vendor. You get to keep it. Might be time for a yard sale. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. But, yeah, they, they have this term called brushing. I, I'd never heard of such a thing. But, yeah, it's it's a real thing. And in Chapin, South Carolina, hundreds of unordered Amazon dresses have come to this lady's house. Interesting. Sounds like a real first world problem. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Elsewhere in our headlines today, you didn't grow up in the 80s. No. I did. It's a good time. It's the best decade I've ever had. Okay. I think. Maybe next decade. I'm waiting for those 30s to come around. We're going we're to rock and roll in the With 30s. The 30s. <laughs> yeah, but did you realize that a big part of the 80s were pinball machines? Have you ever played a pinball machine? I have played a pinball yeah, machine. Because they're hard to find. Yeah. They are hard. We had one in my house. Oh. Yes. I don't know how this happened, but we ended up getting a pinball machine. Man, what a privileged life I had. <laughs> right. I didn't have cable TV. First world problems. Yeah, I didn't have cable TV and I didn't have a satellite dish, but, but I had, had a pinball. pinball yeah, we did for a time. It, <laughs> those things broke all the time. There used to be, and probably still are a handful, people that would go around repairing jute boxes. And there would be people who went around repairing pinball machines. Sometimes they were the same person. That's old school right there. But pinball machines are coming back, according to an article posted at atlantasnewsfirst.com. Pinball machines are finding themselves a new life in the microbreweries of the South. They're putting these things in there, and they're becoming a, a hit. Because a lot of these microbreweries already have board games that you can play, air hockey games. Yeah. I, I used to have an air hockey table at my house. Not as a child. My roommate, when we were out of college living and working in Nashville, he and I both liked air hockey. And he said, I think I'm going to buy an air hockey table. 
And so he put one down in the kind of in the playroom downstairs when we were roommates back in the uh, good old days. Not in the 80s, though. Those were the really good days. This would have been in the 90s. But we had a really cool air hockey table. Were you yeah. any good? No. no. And this air hockey table that he bought was not as good as what you would find at like an arcade. It was good, but it wasn't huge and massive. you got to have those massive ones yeah. if you're really going to put your weight into it. Yeah. Or else you're going to break the thing. But we uh, we had a good time. Yes. So pinball machines are coming back thanks to these local tap rooms that are opening up across the southeast and more. So makes me want to go to my local microbrewery and see if they've got one. And the neat thing about, of course, a pinball machine, they got those little flippers. Yep. And just like, God, I want to get that thing, get that thing. Yep. They used to be in a lot of gas stations, too. But uh, pinballs, which made their peak in the late 1980s, they've almost all died. But surely, to goodness, we can find. Look, I think little kids would like pinball machines. I do, too. Because they're so used to playing with their daggum video games. Yeah. And to see something with a ball really going up there and making all the sounds and the lights cutting on. And and the frustration of when you can't hit it and it falls back down. Yeah, that too. <laughs> so pinball machines on the comeback, yes, just like Megan's kind of sort of coming back on us today <laughs> before she flips on me. <laughs> uh, speaking of gas stations, before we wrap up here, I've got to brag on myself What'd a little bit. I won $45, technically $35 sunday and now that you've announced that don't forget to pay your taxes on it yeah <laughs> how'd you do that through the scratch off i went and got some scratch offs <laughs> just for the heck of it i paid 10 bucks for two scratch offs and both of them both of them ended up being winners and i won 35 do i owe you any money no but okay, did you well, there was your chance gas? well my gas was about that same amount yeah. of money but uh <laughs> no it felt really good to to, to win some money on nice. both of those things and when I was getting them cashed in to the lady, I said, I told her, I said, hey, don't look at me that way. I actually went to church today. Uh-oh. So I went to church, and then I did a scratch-off. Wow. So only you, only in the South. So you feel like it balances out. I think so. I think so. But I'm a, uh, yes, yes. Okay. I, okay. Am I a good Christian? Uh, by, is is by there going, such thing as a good Christian? I, well, I went to church, but then I did the scratch-off, so maybe I'm not. I'm stuck in the middle. I'm in Christian purgatory. <laughs> I don't think there's such thing as a good Christian. Oh, okay, all right. Again, hate mail. No, Those all go to Megan, not me. <laughs> I'll take your hate mail. All right. We're going to come back. Speaking of hate, that women's soccer team in the news, and there are people like me, not a big fan of them. They lost. <laughs> we'll talk about it when we come right back. People ever gonna start singing? 
It's got a long intro. It's okay. a good song, though. Yeah, I, I think I've heard it. <laughs> We're back here on the Y'all Show with Megan and John on a Monday. It's got a kind of nice ring to it. Megan and John on a Monday. In the morning. In the morning. Or in the afternoon, whenever you're listening to us. We appreciate you <laughs> tuning in on the Y'all Show. We're having a good time. Hope you all are as well. M-A-I-L, mail at y'all.com is how you can email us. In fact, during the break, Megan came up with a great idea. It's your maybe first and only great idea of the day, but at least you came up with one. I've come up with zero so far. So tell us, uh, announce your idea. Oh, I was just thinking, based off the pinballs, we could uh, make a segment on things that are making a comeback. Scrunchies, bell-bottom jeans. Trump. Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Pinball machines, whatever. <laughs> so we got that's a good idea. And if you've I got so. if you've got something out there that you're seeing making a comeback, then by all means let us know here. Mail M A I L at y'all dot com and we'll get that on in a segment in the coming days mm-hmm. here on the show all about the southeast. I'm I'm trying to think what I've got making a I mean, right now I'm wearing a trucker cap. Trucker caps have made a comeback in the last couple of years they went away they were a big deal back in the 70s and, and early 80s and then honestly i blame darius rucker for the demise of trucker caps you know why why is that because when he came out with hootie and the blowfish he uh-huh. was he, he wore that low profile cap and that became the hot hat of the mid 90s mm-hmm. and that carried on and you've always had the major league baseball like official fitted cap that yeah. that, that a lot of people wear but women don't typically like that. And I know a lot about women. Don't give me that look. Okay. I know a lot sure. about women. And women typically prefer the low-profile cap to the trucker cap. That's true. See? You got that one right. Yeah. <laughs> Megan, I know a lot about women. All right. Okay. So, especially <laughs> Sounds- when it comes to their headwear. <laughs> Oh. It's it's the inside of women and their inner thoughts and that. that now, I don't know nothing about that. Okay, but <laughs> to uh, clarify. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right on that. But uh, no, that's uh, that's my unscientific explanation of the history of headwear in America. But uh, yeah, trucker hats made a comeback, and I got a, a nice one that I'm sporting today that I got at Sheely's Barbecue. If you don't have a chance to see me today, you'll you'll be able to uh, go Google that sometime. A good place that uh, that you will enjoy all right let's talk a little soccer and then let's talk a little sports really th- throughout the rest of this monday edition because coming up we're going to be spotlighting the north carolina tar heels in our final segment it's our latest stop on our tour across the southeast as we're getting you ready for the start of college football in just a couple of weeks so megan i got a nice internal chuckle sunday when i found out that the women's soccer team did not move on in the world cup of women's soccer i was talking to a great friend of the program sunday i was with this person aka the takapola storyteller i was with him sunday and he brought it up to me and i've never seen him get so excited that he took his arm and did like a yeah (laughs) but he said that soccer team lost and he did yeah and so yeah i know i'm a proud american but i'm not so proud of this women's soccer team i don't think many people are all right. Well, you're a former college soccer player. Yes. What position? Left out. No. Um, what? I, I was a sub for most, but when I didn't. Left out? It's a joke. <laughs> like I was, no, I'd uh, play striker or out on the wing, left or right 
wing. Okay, I have no idea what that means. Lots of I'm your typical American <laughs> idiot that doesn't pay much attention to soccer, or should I say football? football. And um, I just don't like it. Uh, I, I, I never have liked it. I even played it, so I have a reason to hate it. Well, I mean, I mean, it was just basically running around when, when you're a kid, when you're playing soccer. In in my case, second grade, uh-huh. it's all about running up and down a field, and uh, and 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 not really getting into the real fun part of it if it is fun i just until they come up with a rule that tells me when a game's going to start and when it ends instead of having that extended time that they do and they make up okay this game's going to go on for like overtime match i guess it's going to keep going on for eight more minutes and then you got these cards they pull out and yeah i i i I just i'm i'm your typical redneck american who's going to just say yeah I'm, that's not for me. And what I really don't like is how a lot of our TV channels have been taken over by soccer, and they've got, they've got on games from from England like Chelsea and somebody. I saw the other day Chelsea was playing Bayern Munich or something like that, mm-hmm. and they were playing that at Soldier Field in Chicago, and that was on prime time TV. And I had to sit there and eat my chicken tenders watching that junk well you didn't have to you could have turned it off i could have turned my, well no it wasn't my tv it was on in the restaurant oh you could have moved seats you know megan i could have but i didn't <laughs> because this is my country my country doesn't need to have a german versus english soccer game going on when i'm sitting there eating my chicken tenders and waffles yes <laughs> That's You're another really story. I, I am upset, but see, that 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 was on a weeknight. What I can't stand is on the weekend. A lot of these networks like NBC have, and Fox is guilty of it too. They have all these European type soccer matches going on. I don't want to see that junk. I'd rather see a replay of a college football game from fifty years ago than watch that junk. Wow. Am I just a redneck or what? No, I just think you don't like soccer. No, I don't. So let's talk about the women's soccer team. So they're in the news because they lost. This is the yeah. worst loss by this women's soccer team. Yeah, they were. They went, what, back-to-back uh, World Cup champions, and uh, they were highly favored and got beat by Sweden. So here's a question for you, Miss Soccer. <laughs> Kudos to the Americans for winning back-to-back World Cups. But soccer... Thanks to me and idiots like me out here who are so against soccer in this country, soccer is not our number one sport in in America. No. It is by far the number one sport in most of the world. It's it's, it's about the only sport that matters in most of the world. We're talking Asia. We're talking in the Middle East. It is a huge honking deal. Mm -hmm. So how in the heck did America... Get two back-to-back World Cups. Are we? How did that happen? Well, I'd like to say it's because we're Americans and we're great at everything we do. But <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm really talking about the rest of the world. How could they let America win two back-to-back? Is women's soccer not as important in the rest of the world as compared to men's soccer? I, I mean, think, I think that's a. It depends who you ask. Okay, because I mean, obviously, if the U.S. is winning back-to-back World Cups. At least here, from an amateur level, it must be a big deal, and I know it is because you got these little girls all over the country who are going to matches. There's travel teams, yeah. There's college programs, high school teams. I just was curious if if the rest of the world is that hard on women's soccer, and that's maybe explains how the U.S. women's team, I don't know. coasted 
I have no idea. Coast, I mean, this the women's team, aren't they the ones back in 1998 or something that the woman took her jersey off when they got the winning goal? Was that, wasn't that? I have no a, idea. A similar deal, yeah. Oh, it's probably the most famous thing that ever happened in women's soccer. <laughs> and I should know her name because I think she's from, she's American. I'll have to Google that while you're talking. So this year, let's take it to now. Yeah. This year, they did so terrible in this Women's World Cup. Yeah, they went out in the, the what, the 16th round or the, yeah, and they were eliminated by Sweden. They only had one victory, right? I heard it was over Vietnam. I don't follow soccer, professional soccer religiously or anything like that. I heard they only won, like in their opening match, they beat Vietnam, but they either lost or tied every other match. That's why they barely even got into the round of 16. Yeah, but you have this team full of American women who are anti-American and some of them even anti-women. So I think that's why a lot of people are... Say that again. The women's soccer team, some of their biggest players hate America. Yeah, I knew that, but the hate women. Yeah, they're, you know, they're, I think, I feel like feminists hate women. Oh, really? Yeah, because they try to make women, they put down men to make themselves feel better instead of just appreciating what a woman is. And they allow transgenders and men to compete against women if they really liked or cared about women. They would be more vocal about keeping men out of women's sports. And which we've talked about this a couple weeks ago. All right. Let me go back to yeah. 1999 was the year. At the FIFA Women's World Cup at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena after scoring the fifth kick in the penalty shootout to give the U.S. the championship over China in the final game, Brandy Chastain is the one that took her shirt off in celebration. Now, she had on a sports bra underneath it, but, yeah, that's got to be the most visual thing for women's soccer Hmm. in my opinion and i told you i know a lot about women right (laughs) i know a lot about 1999 but yeah that's uh that's that's what i was trying to channel that uh that image surely you've seen that somewhere so the face of women's soccer is not girls taking their top off it's people like megan rapino and her pink hair and her subway commercials Megan, I work with someone who does not go to Subway because Megan Rapino has been a spokesperson for that chain. Yeah. And they refuse to go there. They don't want to eat fresh. This is what I don't understand is you have athletes like Megan who hate America and yet they're making millions of dollars playing a game and all they can do is badmouth the country that they're representing. If I don't like something and I'm going to badmouth something, I'm not going to go out and represent that thing and take their money i'm going to boycott it and you have these athletes who i don't know they don't want to give up the money and all they can do is badmouth america well recently this women's soccer team in the world cup refused to stand for the national anthem yeah i mean they've been doing that not i can't say all of them were but many of them refused to do that most of these soccer especially women's soccer and the wnba too literally went out over the edge on the whole lgbtq thing during pride month i mean Mm -hmm. they cared more about pride than they did about their own athletic career it was well that's like a lot of athletes and a lot of companies too you know all these companies come out during pride month with their rainbow logos and then as soon as the month's over they take them down immediately you know well i don't think they're taking them down quite so soon but they 
are all about that when it's going on. And again, maybe they should have been worried more about their soccer skills than their woke skills. Well, it's the same thing with companies, you know, and sports. Don't get political. Just play your sport, offer your product, and uh, just dribble the ball. Just dribble the ball. That's what was it? Uh, Laura Ingram wrote a book called that, something like that. Yeah. So they are out and um, breaking little girls' hearts. They are out, but not my heart. No, and I think uh, Megan said that this is going to be her last season too. Thank God, she's looking to retire. Yeah, and we were mentioning that she is a uh, romantic partner of Sue Bird, who is part of the Seattle Storm. Uh, yeah, some NBA team. Well, WNBA. Get w, it right. Excuse me. <laughs> See, I know a lot about women. You, you it's, know a it's, lot it's about w. basketball. And <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah. No, I don't. More than I do. No, that's all right. But um, Sue Bird is one of the most famous faces of the WNBA, and I'm sure you're watching all those contests. No. When you get a chance. Um, but yeah, they're, they're 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 like the power couple of women sports athletes. I mean, she is one of the most famous soccer faces, if not the most famous. Yeah. And then you've got. Um, Sue Bird is, I, I know recently her number was retired by the Seattle Storm. Hmm. And I actually sadly saw some of that retirement ceremony. Yeah. I need I need a hobby. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I really do. But uh, the the women are, they're done. And so whoever ends up winning that, uh, is we wish them all the best. It was funny when I was talking to the Taco Bowl storyteller, storyteller about this loss. He said, yeah, they lost to Switzerland. Yeah. And I was thinking, surely to goodness Switzerland didn't beat them. It was Sweden that beat them. Which they didn't even beat them. Wasn't it a 0-0 score? It was a tie, so they went to a shootout. Oh, They went overtime, and then they went so shootout. That's stupid. See, that's another reason soccer is terrible. Well, it's similar to hockey. They have shootouts. Well, I don't know. Maybe that sport's bad, too. No, it's Even not. the Nashville Do Predators. You know? Oh, no. <laughs> don't badmouth hockey. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, how could you be out there running around for – how long is a soccer match? Uh, 90 minutes. I think it's like 45 minutes each. So how could you run around for 90 minutes and nobody score? Because – Either you're really bad or the defense is really good. Yeah. <laughs> you what was your goal. strength? Running my mouth. Really? <laughs> you get up there and intimidate people. Like who is that? Who is that redhead? I like trash talking people. I'm not good at what I do. I just yeah. like bad mouthing them. What was your best match? Did you ever score? Yes. You did. The first. Okay. So the first time I scored, it was it was awesome um we had come down from michigan to play uh, a team over like in johnson city yeah tennessee and my parents drove out for that would it be etsu i don't know yeah and uh they uh came out for it and that is and my whole team was like trying to set me up and stuff and i finally got a goal and my first goal was in front of my family did you so. take your shirt off no <laughs> did not do that you thought about it then no channeling brandy chastain all right, well, the women, their soccer is over. Yep. And hopefully they'll get some new players that love America and want to promote it. And also, keep in mind, at least this has been reported in recent years, these women soccer players who've been also pushing the drumbeat about how terrible women are being left behind compared to men, mm-hmm. these women soccer players make more than the men 
soccer players. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. But I, no, no. Well, that's a whole other conversation. Talk about the because wage I, I can tell you, Brand, I can tell you, Brandy Chastain. I can tell you, Megan Rapino, and then there's other really good-looking. And uh, uh, what's her name? I should know. Alex Morgan. Alex Morgan. Yeah, I know her name. <laughs> sort of, you know it. I can't tell you a single single male soccer player. Don't want to know, but I can't tell you who they are on the on the on, men's on the men's side. A men's U.S. team, whatever. Um, yeah. So I don't want to hear it, women. <laughs> I told you I know enough about women and women. I don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> All right, that's the story from soccer as. We will continue on. After this break, we're going to switch over to talking about football. American football. American football, courtesy of the North Carolina Tar Heels. And we'll do that as they are the latest stop on our tour of SCC, ACC, and other college teams in the Southeast getting you ready for the new season. We're back here on the Y'all Show talking about college sports and more. We're on a tour getting you ready for the start of the 2023 football season. And as we wrap up this Monday edition, we're going to be in ACC country today, Megan. It's all about the North Carolina Tar Heels. What do you think of that Carolina blue, that light blue? You like light blue? I do like light blue. All right. Well, they got a lot of it in North Carolina. And they got a pretty good football team over there. Mac Brown. Back for his second stint as UNC's head coach. You know, he was the coach at Texas, led them to a national championship. The Cookville, Tennessee native coaching UNC again. And last year, UNC got to the ACC championship game. Clemson walloped them. But UNC with a successful year last year. Mac Brown's had a couple of successful seasons already leading UNC. We're going to hear from his quarterback as Drake May was recently at ACC Media Days. We're going to hear from that very talented player entering his second year behind center in Chapel Hill. We'll also walk through the schedule for North Carolina, and we'll give you some of the great traditions you can find when you're there at Keenan Stadium for a football game for the North Carolina Tar Heels. How do you think the Heels are going to do this year, Megan? I have no clue. Well, I don't either. We'll find out. We're going to find out. So, Drake May, he's going to be a second-year starter at quarterback. He is out of North Carolina and uh, chose to stay in-state to attend UNC. He was recently at the ACC Media Days in Charlotte where he was interviewed by ESPN. Let's go in and hear a little bit about his expectations for his second season as the starting QB and how he's learned from Sam Howell, who went on from UNC to be I think he is the starting quarterback for the Washington Commanders now, Sam Howell. So a, a very good QB. They've had a couple of good quarterbacks there. The game that I went to at Keenan Stadium had a guy named Mitch Trubisky as the starting QB. And he ended up being drafted high by the Chicago Bears and played for them for a few years. And I think Trubisky is maybe he's with the Steelers now, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, UNC, even though it's a basketball school, they have a proud 
football history. Lawrence Taylor is an example of that. Julius Peppers, another great product out of that program and more. Here's that interview that Drake May did with ESPN the other day as part of their coverage of ACC Media Days. How much has changed for you in the last year or so? Yes, sir, no doubt. I was just telling people earlier, and I was last year in this scenario, I was competing every day in fall camp. Everybody heading to that now. And, um, you know, Coach Brown mentioned 10 days before the first game, I was announced a starter. And since then, just took it and ran with it. Um, it's been a crazy year. It's been a blessing. Um, I want to thank God and, you know, excited for fall camp coming up um, in a couple of days and ready to get after it here in Charlotte against South Carolina. You know, quarterbacks love to learn. And, and for you, what was the biggest learning moment in your first year as a starter? Yeah, I think, uh, first off, kind of on the field, just being patient, taking what defense gives you. I think late in the season, um, you know, teams started to drop eight. Um, I mean, be, made me be patient. Just take the defense gives you. You know, that's what you don't got to make, you know, all the yards in one play. You can kind of check it down, down the field, and uh, still end up with seven points on the board. So uh, that, and off the field, just handling the media. You know, this is, it's a crazy world nowadays in college football, NIL, and all this stuff, transfer portal. So just handling that and, uh, taking it day by day and keeping the main thing main thing that's a winning football game yeah, speaking of nil is that what got you that slick suit you're wearing is that an nil suit no no i don't know about that i, I wear this about every <laughs> event i go to i only got one of them so they so probably I mean, see me in navy blue always look tv tv hack just change the shirt and tie and everyone thinking it's a new suit all the time exactly i got a new tie i stole it from my brother's closet this morning that's right. about it there you uh, go. other than that it's the same fit <laughs> that's a great little brother move you mentioned now that you're the guy I know you forged a good relationship with the guy before you. Now this started with the Washington commander, Sam Howell. What kind of conversations do you guys have to help each other out? Yeah, he's, he's one of my best friends. You know, I keep up with Sam weekly. Uh, we play golf all summer. Um, he actually beat me a couple times for his first time in his short golf career. So just talking with him, he's in his first days of camp up in Washington. Uh, wish him the best of luck. And just he's been through it. He's been through the exact same thing, a Charlotte kid going to our home state, North Carolina, and uh, now he's, he's playing at where I, uh, my aspirations, you know, starting in the NFL, that's where I want to get to, and just, you know, seeing him day by day, that was one of the best things, you know, playing uh, behind him, uh, seeing his day in, day out preparation, and how good he was, and how much he loved football, that's yeah. a big thing. So. All right, that's Drake May of North Carolina, the starting QB, who last year, as a freshman, led this program to nine wins, they went on and played in the Holiday Bowl, they lost that contest. But North Carolina's got a really good quarterback in this Charlotte area kid leading the heels in 2023. Megan, let's go through the schedule for UNC. They're going to be back in the Queen City where he was for that interview during media days as UNC's going to be playing in the Dukes Mayo Classic. Does that sound fun? It does. A, a Dukes Mayonnaise Classic that's going to feature two Carolina schools. It's North Carolina versus South Carolina on September 2nd, and that is also where College Game Day will be for that opening weekend of college football, right there at Bank of America Stadium in Uptown Charlotte. ABC will have that game in the middle of the – well, actually, that's a primetime game. 7.30 Charlotte time, the kick between the Gamecocks and the Tar Heels. The Tar Heels get the Appalachian State Mountaineers back into that portion of North Carolina. Last year, UNC went over to Luke Combs University and nearly got beat. I bet you Luke Combs is going to be in Chapel Hill for this September 9th contest when App State and UNC get back together. 
The Golden Gophers of Minnesota come in for a rare appearance into this southeast as they'll be taking on UNC at Chapel Hill on September 16th. ACC play begins for UNC on the road at Pittsburgh, taking on the Panthers September 23rd. Then they've got Syracuse coming in for a game in Chapel Hill October 7th. The Miami Hurricanes are the opponent in Chapel Hill October 14th. The longtime rivalry with Virginia is renewed on October 21st. They travel to Atlanta for a battle with Georgia Tech. Coach Key welcomes in the Tar Heels on October 28th. The Campbell Fighting Camels from Bowie's Creek, North Carolina, make their first appearance in Keenan Stadium in a long time. And that is the opponent for Military Appreciation Day, November 4th. The Battle of the Bell is renewed as UNC takes on Duke on November 11th. And then it's a trip to Death Valley and the North Carolina Tar Heels on November 18th. And then the rivalry with Raleigh's own in-state foe, NC State. That game at Carter-Finley in the state capital of Raleigh to close out the regular season on November 25th. So there's the 12 games that UNC's got on the schedule for 2023. Megan, our expert UNC analyst, (laughs) give me the breakdown of wins versus losses. They can either go 0-12 or 12-0. What is your prediction? Are they more likely to go 12-0 or 0-12? I have no idea. Come on. Just give me a number. You got between 0 and 12. Oh, I don't know. Come on, 0 and 12. What would you say? I'm going to say they're going to win about the same they won last year, 9. About 9? But don't say you can't. Don't say what? Don't say 9. No, I was going to say 6. 6? You think they'll go 6 and 6? Yeah, let's see what happens. All right, all right. Is this like Price is Right? <laughs> yeah. All right, so UNC, that is the schedule for this year, and we wish them all the best with Drake May, who had a bunch of yards in his time skippering UNC in 2022. And I hope, Drake, if you're listening to us, Drake, the quarterback, not the singer. Mm-hmm. Okay, just want to make sure I clarify yeah, that. Yeah, no, I got that. Yeah. Uh, May, Mr. May. <laughs> Who looked dapper? The guy from ESPN was right. He did look dapper there in his in his suit. He had to borrow a tie from his brother. I like that advice though. Just change the tie, change the shirt. No one will know the difference. That's true. (laughs) I mean, when it comes to guys, we really don't have too many options. Megan, if you're listening, so let's talk about some of the great traditions. If you go to Chapel Hill for a game, first of all, it is a great college town. It's just beautiful. You'll love this. I ended up going to a game up there just after the 2020, no, 2016 presidential election Hmm. okay yeah you ready for this what happened you might not ever be on here again (laughs) so i'm there at a very nice hotel right on franklin street i think it's what it's called in in chapel hill i'm up there enjoying a late friday afternoon beverage Uh with some buddies and all of a sudden coming down the street there were a whole horde of people protesting the election Mm-hmm. Now, this was three weeks after the presidential election of 2016. You might remember people went around for weeks and months crying about the election. Yeah. And I was up there, and I saw this coming down the street, and I said, uh-uh, I ain't putting up with this. What'd you do? <laughs> I got on the elevator and went down to the lobby to go out there and yell at these people. Oh, my word. You're just making it worse. <laughs> now, the good news is, for me, after the time I got down there, they weren't there. They must have taken a turn somewhere. They knew you were coming. They knew I they was said, coming. We gotta get out of here. But I, I, I said, I said, I ain't putting up with this because if you had been watching TV for all those weeks after Trump was elected, 
there would be these protests all over the country yeah. you, know, you know not my president not yeah. you probably forgot that chant no, i remember okay so when i saw that coming in a in a liberal college town as unc is located in i said uh-uh i ain't putting up with this <laughs> now luckily i went out on the street and my buddy judson was pulling up to come check in he's like raw get in here so he saved my bacon too so thank you judd for that <laughs> let's talk about some of the traditions that you can find if you go to a north carolina football game they have fourth quarter hype where everybody holds up four fingers and they play over the loudspeaker there at keenan stadium hell's bells <laughs> you like that song that's okay not my yeah, favorite song right. it's a good song Number four tradition that you can find at a North Carolina football game, and I'm a Tar Heel, where during media timeouts, anxious fans get to say that I'm a Tar Heel during a a video board. They have, like, famous people Mm -hmm. come on and say things, and then they wrap it up with saying, and I'm a Tar Heel. Yeah, okay. They have Tar Heel Town. That's a great experience for the whole family as you enter just before entering Keenan Stadium. It's in the Bell Tower Park. It's got live entertainment, food trucks, face painting, and so much more. They also have at UNC the Victory Walk, where before the games you can go by the old well walk, now beginning at the Bell Tower Park. Fans get a close-up-close view of the team as they go through. And then the singing of the alma mater is a great tradition at a UNC football game. And there's the song, I'm a Tar Heel Born, that is played that everybody can hold hands and sing along. So mm-hmm. there you have it, some of the great traditions found when you're in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, for a North Carolina football game. And again, Megan says they're going 6-6 six and six this year. I beg to differ. <laughs> I definitely beg to differ. Join us on Tuesday. We're going to switch over from ACC country. We're going to go to the Bluegrass, where the Kentucky Wildcats will be our featured team on our Tuesday Y'all Show. Megan, thank you. Good to see you. We'll see you back here Wednesday. Wednesday. Until we see all of y'all back here on the Tuesday Y'all Show. John Rawl signing off. This has been the show that shakes the Southland. This has been Y'all, powered by y'all.com.